0: You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. More than 80% of American women have used hormonal contraception during their lives. Though evidence suggests hormonal contraception could offer anti effects, the verdict is far from end. Further, we've got a lot to learn about the long-term risks for thrombosis, arrhythmiogenesis, vasomotion, and beyond. So where do we begin? Where should our priorities lie when studying contraceptive hormone use and cardiovascular disease? Our guest today is Dr. Noel Barry mers She's the director of the Women's Heart Center and the Preventive and Rehabilitative Cardiac Center at Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles. She's also the Women's Guild Endowed Chair in Women's Health at Cedar Sinai and a professor of medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Welcome, Noelle. Thanks, Janet. It's a pleasure to have you, and our topic is fascinating today. I'm going to be referring to an article that was published in the January 2009 edition of the Journal of American Cardiology, Contraceptive Use and Cardiovascular Disease. Tell us why you chose this topic.
1: Well, it seemed timely. We certainly have had 10-plus years now of hearing alarming news from the hormone replacement story. What was thought to be safe and natural and a good thing to replace to extend women's lives and protect them against heart disease turns out to, you know, paradoxically actually be causing more heart attacks, strokes, particularly in older at risk women. So, on the heels of that hormone replacement story and finding things that were really unanticipated, it made sense then to take a closer look. In this century, at the whole issue of reproductive hormones being used for contraception for a couple of reasons. Number one, as you pointed out, over 80% of women use this at some point in their life. So, if there were good, adverse, or neutral effects, we'd certainly, it's really almost a public health issue. Number two, more and more women are using them into their uh, what we might call the perimenopause. More and more women are using contraceptive hormones in their 40s, even sometimes into their early 50s. And these are going to be older women. And you know, if there were good or bad things to know about it, it would be helpful with regard to cardiovascular disease.
0: And Noelle, one thing I learned in the opening paragraphs of your article is that despite the drop, the dramatic drop in mortality from cardiovascular disease over the last couple of decades for the general population. When you look at a subset of women, we're actually seeing an increase in mortality.
1: Absolutely. And women between the ages of 25, 35, and then 35, 45 are the two groups that actually not only did not drop, but have actually gone up. Mortality in those age groups has gone up. These are also consistent with demographic trends, such as renewed interest in smoking among college-age women, young women and men, but women in particular. It's also coincident with the obesity epidemic, fueling diabetes, but it made sense, too, that possibly these are women that are using more contraceptive hormones, possibly, and it just made sense to sort of explore those links as well.
0: Well, and I, I do want to compliment you on this review. It's very thorough. You you start really at the cellular level and talk about the effects on the body, uh, the woman's body, of estrogen and progesterone. Can you summarize those for us? they
1: are many, many fold and very complex. There are estrogen, progesterone, and even testosterone and other steroid backbone-type hormones, DHEAS, androstenedione, there are these steroid receptors in essentially every cell in the body. So this tells you that these are important hormones and these are hormones that can impact many different processes, not just cardiovascular. In the aggregate, you know, there's been a lot of study about sort of antioxidant and reparative types of cellular properties, particularly with estrogen. I think we probably you know, need to progress and and look at intact animals and then actually look at human studies because while the focus has been that, you know, estrogen sort of has these amazing properties, a little bit like what we thought vitamin C did in the 1960s, right? It was just Mm -hmm. a perfect substance. It was good for every cell and most of the vitamin C trials now have failed. So I think as good as the basic science is, we probably haven't put it all together And uh, estrogen, yeah, looks like it's sort of a wonder drug, but then when you start to move on, other things are happening.
0: The other thing your paper does is track the generations, if you will, of hormone replacement therapy or uh, contraceptive, anti-contraception hormones. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Well, this was aided and abetted by my first author and colleague, Dr. Cassandra Schufelt, and she's a women's health expert and a menopause and hormone expert. So this was her systematic review, not only of the formulations, but then of the literature that we have for the different formulations. And and like many other things that we use, these are all FDA approved formulations, but the FDA purpose is to prevent pregnancy. So these are, you know, used for contraception. So the fact that over time, as the formulations have been developed for second generation, second generation, third and fourth, they, you know, maintained their good contraceptive action and they dominantly were new and improved formulations, you know, fewer side effects, better dosing profiles, fewer complications from thrombotic types of problems with the higher doses of estrogen. Nevertheless, no one was really looking at the cardiovascular impact, so the formulations just keep getting approved because that's right, they're FDA approved for the prevention of pregnancy. So we also tried to look, probably the take-home is to say that today's formulations, most docs are using the third generation, but this fourth generation that has the progestogen, which is actually a mild diuretic in an aldosterone antagonist. These are new and improved. They are better. They're lower doses of the estrogen, so we're going to get less of the thrombotic complications. But these fourth generations might actually be beneficial because they slightly reduce blood pressure.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Noelle Berry, Director of the Women's Heart Center and the Preventive and Rehabilitative Cardiac Center at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. We're talking about contraceptive hormone use and cardiovascular disease. Noelle, you, you left us a minute ago with a tantalizing idea that the fourth-generation contraceptive hormone use might actually lower blood pressure.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think I was taught this in medical school, but certainly it was known that the first, second, and even third-generation formulations, and dominantly these were oral forms you know, of birth control pills, all raise blood pressure in some patients significantly to the point where they can't take it, typically an older patient. But on average, in the aggregate, substantial blood pressure elevations, and what do we consider substantial, you know, 2 millimeters, 4 millimeters, even 6 millimeters of mercury in some studies. And then you sort of say, wow, that's amazing. I mean, anything else that we know in cardiovascular disease that raises blood pressure usually kills people, even, you know, two millimeters of mercury, as we saw in some of these recent the torcep trials, things that will never be approved. And you have to sort of think that the only way we've gotten away with it is that these are very young women. Their cardiovascular risk is so low. Nevertheless, as you saw in one of those tables... All of these birth control pills have historically and continue to be associated with a very small but clinically significant risk of heart attack. Some of it's probably clot, but some of it potentially is related to this very mild blood pressure effect that is probably not always tolerated in all women so well. And so this idea that the fourth generation could be better, I think, is a a hypothesis that needs to be tested could it be worse? Could these, you know, aldosterone antagonists actually do be doing something else that we don't know in the intact human being? Yeah. So that's kind of why we need to study it.
0: We'd also want to study in certain subsets of women to differentiate those age groups because as the risk of atherosclerosis rises with age in women, postmenopausal women in particular, the use of these drugs might have a different impact in that group than in a younger group. Absolutely. There's a wonderful diagram, this is tough on the radio to talk about diagrams, but there's a wonderful picture that shows the often competing and sometimes additive effects of estrogen and progestins on atherosclerosis, thrombosis, vasomotion, and arrhythmogenesis. We don't have benefit of sharing this chart with our listeners, but maybe you could summarize the most important effects you see there.
1: Well, if you see, it's sort of a top-down diagram, and the athero has been the most studied, and in part because we have animal models that if we, you know, feed bunny rabbits, Big Macs, they get a lot of atherosclerotic plaque. It doesn't really look like human plaque, but it was an animal model that was available. We know less about sclerosis, which is the actual stiffening of the media, breakdown and fibrotic change in the collagen that makes arteries stiff and contribute to hypertension related to aging. We know a little bit about vasomotion. We know that women suffer disproportionately from things like migraine headaches, Raynaud's, and now this microvascular angina. So women seem to have a more active milieu of vasomotion. And that's been pretty well studied. And and estrogen seems to be beneficial. Different progestogens, the synthetic progesterones, seem to be adverse. So we kind of know that story, although we could certainly know more. And then we know very little about arrhythmogenesis. And it's a little alarming to me, some of these reports of the increased death rates in these relatively young college and then 40-year-old women. Some of that is sudden cardiac death. It certainly could be related to the cigarette smoking. But what do we know about these steroid hormones? And we do know that QT intervals are particularly important in women. Women are more susceptible to that torsade. And any drug that lengthens the QT, not infrequently when it's seen, it will be withdrawn. Remember those cold capsules that the antihistamines that women uh, nobody could take, but women were the most likely victims. So... Mm -hmm. Is there cause for concern there? Will we be able to make progress with genomics, looking at polymorphisms that call out these QT prolongations, not, you know, not horrible disorders like Brugada's, but just sort of subtle things that if you take your antihistamine and a birth control pill, that puts you at risk. So these are all the mechanisms that we tried to put in part to kind of entice people to do the research.
0: Talk to our audience about the prescribing guidelines when it comes to women with or at increased risk for cardiovascular disease.
1: Well, you know, as it turns out, and as much as you and I as cardiologists are want to know more about both the benefit of these contraceptive hormones as well as the potential risk, you know, these rare situations of QT prolongation, the reality is that these drugs are incredibly safe and they remain FDA approved and they remain much safer than pregnancy. So, pregnancy is actually a leading healthcare threat to women, despite our good modern healthcare system. So, that said, you'll see that support that these are really safe and effective medications for contraception. And you will also see, we reviewed the ACOG guidelines, and from a cardiologic standpoint, we felt very comfortable with them. We thought they were evidence-based and reasoned and sound, that you can prescribe contraceptive hormones to women, even midlife women, if their risk factors are under control. So you can treat a dyslipidemic woman for her dyslipidemia, perhaps on a statin, and if she qualifies and would gain additional benefit for contraceptive hormone prevention of pregnancy that is considered allowable, safe, and effective. And so there's a, you know, few absolute contraindications. People that have a history of deep venous thrombosis, women that are obese, actually, and the big obesity, BMI greater than 30. So there's a few absolute contraindications. But actually, I think the prescribing guidelines are are pretty liberal. And I don't feel bad about the OBGYNs prescribing all these hormones. I think they're doing a good job. And we like their guidelines.
0: Do you know what's on the horizon for contraceptive use in the future?
1: They are, you know, moving and you'll see in this review article that we are moving to more topical forms and you can use lower doses so there there are uh, these cervical rings now that relatively young women can use rather than, you know, taking a pill that is systemic and, and all over the body. So topical forms are definitely coming in. They are also moving, as I say, to these newer progestogens, and we will look forward to these observational data as well as hopefully some clinical trial data using these newer formulations.
0: We've been talking with Dr. Noel Barry-Murs about contraceptive hormone use and cardiovascular disease. Noel, thanks so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.